The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. Dr. Dirk Greiniter lived what many would consider an incredibly successful life. He was a distinguished allergist in a loving marriage of over 30 years and had three grown children. But that all came crashing down on Halloween 1999 when he called 911 to report that his wife had been found brutally beaten in their neighborhood park. I'm Vinny Politan and welcome to the Court TV Podcast. This week we have an audio edition of our original series, Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall, which dives deeper into the investigation and trial surrounding the murder of May Griniter. This episode is entitled, The Good Doctor. This is the Court TV Podcast. May Griniter, you'd been attacked. It was a brutal killing. It was something I'll never forget. We were very concerned that this homicide may be connected to other homicides. And I said, you know, what's going on? And we got like a serial killer running around here. Early on Halloween morning, 1999, police responded to a 911 call at Morris's Pond Recreation Area in Wellesley, Massachusetts, a wealthy suburb of Boston. 58-year-old May Graniter and her husband had been walking their dog in the park when she decided to take a break. Her husband continued on, and when he returned, he says he found her brutally beaten and stabbed to death. This was the third murder in the area over the last year, and some in the community began to fear the worst. Wellesley is one of the most affluent towns in the country. Most of its residents are college educated. There's a lot of influential people across the captains of industry that live there. Unbelievable schools. You're about 15, 20 minutes out of Boston, straight down the Mass Pike. It's a very attractive place to live. We had our share of crime mostly property crimes. You know, people from the area, particularly like Boston, would want to come to Wellesley to do house breaks or commercial breaks. And yes, we dealt with a lot of that, but no homicides, very, you know, safe area. Dirk Grinder was the husband of May Grinder. They had three children. He was a doctor and worked as an allergist. She had a master's degree in nursing. So they raised their three kids that went to Ivy League schools. They had successful children, successful careers, and were healthy going into the emptiness stage of their life. It seemed like Dirk and May Grinder were living the American dream. It was Halloween Sunday, and it was a beautiful day. And their normal routine was to go for a walk at Moses Pond, and they would take one or two of their German Shepherds with them. And they took one of the dogs because the other dog had been acting up. May had been playing fetch with the dog and allegedly hurt her back. So she stopped to take a break from the hike. Dirk went on and walked the dog further for about 10 more minutes. And when he returned to his wife, he found her on the ground. She had been attacked. She appeared to have been stabbed. 
He wasn't sure if she was dead. He checked her carotid artery, and then he left. He tried to find some help, so he immediately ran out and saw somebody walking down the path, asked if he had a phone, and he didn't. He then ran up the path himself towards his car, where he did have a cell phone, and called the police. My pager was going off. It was a 911 call after the number. I called back, and the sergeant at the, at the scene explained to me that they, they had a, a death that clearly looked like a homicide. And they were there, and they were speaking with the, the husband. We were very concerned that this homicide may be connected to other homicides that had happened in Norfolk County. Within the last year, previous to May's murder, there were two other murders of elderly individuals in parks. Irene Kennedy, who had been killed in Walpole, not only was she killed, but she was also essentially sexually assaulted at the same time. Her clothes were cut off. And when you looked at May's attack, it looked very similar because her pants had been cut and pulled down. May had been struck twice, a glancing blow on the back of the head and another blow with some sort of blunt object. She was lying on her back. There was knife wounds to her chest area, and her neck had what appeared to be two gaping wounds from the left side to the right side. It was a brutal killing, and it was something I'll never forget, and it's just an awful way for a human being to die. Dirk made several odd statements. When police arrived on the scene, his first two questions were, is my wife dead, and am I under arrest? He had checked her pulse. He's a doctor. He should know that she had passed away. Investigators would say that they could tell she was dead from a distance just based on the attack and a lack of breathing. I spoke to Dirk Grinder within minutes after arriving at the scene, and he had said that he and his wife had left their house like they normally do on a Saturday and Sunday to take their dog for a walk. And he mentioned that he usually walks with both his dogs, but his other dog, Wolfie, wasn't doing very well, and he only had one dog with him. And so it's just, it just kind of hit me strange that, that he's talking a lot about his dogs. I did ask him what time he got there, and he went into telling me about daylight savings time and how he changed his clocks, and obviously had nothing to do with May Grindeter. I've never been in a position where he is in, finding his wife dead. It seems like Dirk was really trying to get ahead of the investigation. Dirk offered up the fact that his DNA may have been present on May's body because that morning they both had nosebleeds at the same time and used the same towel. He also noted that she had given him a back rub, so his DNA may be under her fingernails. 
As events started to unfold, it became clearer and clearer. The stories that he was telling different officers that were there at the scene just didn't line up. It was a different story with everybody that he talked to. Speaking to the investigators there, they had spoken to the witnesses, and they told me a different story than what Dirk told me. The witnesses said that Dirk comes out of the wooded area where May was found, doesn't go straight up towards where his car is, walks around the cul-de-sac, kind of in the shadows of the trees, walks down the access path, and then emerges just a few seconds later. We questioned him about it. He said, oh, I saw, I saw something. Well, what did you see? I think I saw a shadow go down there, and I wanted to see if they had a cell phone. So that was really odd. It seems like Dirk was aware of what police would be looking for and that he anticipated the questions and their techniques in trying to find out who attacked May. Also, his appearance just didn't make sense. He's got this yellow windbreaker on, he's got you know, what, what appears to be blood you know, all over the place, but there's no blood at all on his hands. I wasn't sure whether or not you know, he, he had washed his hands. And then I learned that our detective had asked him about it, and he said he hadn't washed his hands. So that really started to raise some red flags. Our editors at the Herald, right, they were all like, hey, there could be a serial killer running around, and they're getting all ginned up for that scenario. They happened to have a source that was pretty high up in the state police, and I called him. And I said, you know, what's going on? And we got, like, a serial killer running around here? And he said, no, the husband killed her. So I said, okay, but you can't print that because, um, you know, that's kind of off the record, but for you to know, the, they're looking at the husband on this. These aren't things that say he did it, he absolutely did it, the smoking gun. These are all just bits and pieces of the puzzle that made up this investigation. Detectives from the Massachusetts State Police and the Wellesley PD worked in tandem to close off the crime scene, interview witnesses, and search the Morris Pond area for evidence. By nightfall, they would make their first key discovery. We brought a canine in that evening. Canine was actually able to track right from the scene where May was across the same route that Dirk took and then down that little maintenance road. And on that maintenance road, there were some leaves and some other things, but the dog hit on it. We didn't even know there was a storm drain there. It wasn't until we started to clear the leaves out, found the storm drain, and then lifted the drain up and looked inside. There was the right-hand glove, there was the knife, and there was a two-pound S-wing drilling hammer in there. I could clearly see they all had blood on them. They found the left glove in the storm drain near Dirk's vehicle. The left-hand glove that we found was literally a half a mile from where May was killed. So that killer would have had to go down the maintenance road path, get rid of the knife, the hammer, and the right-hand glove, then walk exactly where Dirk walked, all the way back to the car, and then dispose of that left-hand glove in the storm drain right beside his car. We jumped to the search warrant pretty quickly. We're looking for receipts of where these gloves may have been found or information that would lead us to believe that Dirk Grindeter purchased these articles. We were taking his computer at that point. We were looking for tomb lock impressions. 
because now we have a hammer and we have a knife and we don't know what else those things were used for. Kirsten, the oldest daughter, was out the backyard with me and she wanted to show me that, you know, her dad had built a doghouse and how ingenious he was to build this so you could lift up the lid so you could actually clean it out and you could feed the dog. And as she lifted the lid, the gloves were right there. She exposed another set of gloves, exactly the same type of gloves that were found in the storm drain. These are pretty special gloves. They were only sold in one store, and that store was in Wellesley, Deals Hardware. We did find receipts from Deals that led us to believe that, at the very least, he's doing his shopping there. In the Wellesley Police Department, we had a community room. We actually put probably somewhere around 15 or 20 officers in there, and we got a pallet of receipts from Deals. We were looking for any receipts that dealt with the, the gloves, the hammer, or if there was a knife receipt in there. They found a receipt from deals where somebody paid cash for the two-pound S-wing drilling hammer. And we'd recovered a receipt from Dirk Grinder's workbench for nails that were purchased. We said, okay, well, the hammer was, was purchased there and the nails were purchased there. It wasn't until we really looked at them that we realized it was the exact same day three minutes later the, from the, when the nails were purchased to when that hammer was purchased. So again, you, you talk about the killer would have had to have followed him to the storm drain, would have had to have followed him to his car and stuffed the glove right beside his car. The killer would have had to have been right behind him in line at Deals Hardware to purchase that hammer. These aren't things that say he did it, he absolutely did it, the smoking gun. These are all just bits and pieces of the puzzle that made up this investigation. There was some news one week, maybe something the next week there wasn't. It was clear that he was a suspect. He had a lawyer by this time, Marty Murphy. So we just, you know, wrote about the suspicion and the denials from the lawyers. There wasn't really any news with it, but you kept digging at it. What was really difficult for me was, as the investigation started to move on, everybody wanted you know, the inside information on what was happening. And we're in no position to provide confidential information from a, an investigatory standpoint. We couldn't talk about it. Clearly, I was, I was getting pressured to, why can't you just make an arrest? If you know who it is, you need to make an arrest. They said, you have to trust me and let this process play out. You can't do that to me. We searched every inch of that home. There were some boxes in the garage, and Lieutenant Cunningham just started going through them and found the, what we call is the sex box. The box had Viagra that you know, he had prescribed to himself and had some Trojan rubbers in there as well. He had told me that he didn't have sexual relationship with his wife. He had gone beyond that. We found through his many credit cards, he had a pseudonym. He had another name that he was going under, Thomas Young. He had a double life. It didn't mean that he killed May because of this. But as a detective, I want to know who, what, when, where, and why. We established a grand jury right away. They found loads and loads of pornography. They found phone records from dirt calling, sex phone numbers.
Detectives knew Dirk Greiniter was using the pseudonym Thomas Young, but they didn't know why. What investigators discovered was a bizarre secret life that they believe gave Dr. Greiniter a motive. Once we started to pull telephone records and credit card records, we started to really dig into them. We started to see there was this whole second persona from Dirk Greiniter. About a week before the murder, there was a lot going on. Like, he's in New Jersey at a medical conference, and he's got hookers coming to the room, and he joined an adult dating service, and he was joining these internet porn sites. So, like, this activity was, like, really ramping up. He had marked out in his calendar Hilton, and we found that credit card in, in the receipts for the room at this Hilton, and we were able to find that he had done this in numerous times. We eventually found the escort that he was using. They found loads and loads of pornography. They found phone records from a dirt calling sex phone numbers of him communicating with escort services. Clearly, he was seeing you know, prostitutes. It wasn't until we had a conversation with somebody else who had actually called and said when they heard about this Thomas Young alias, said, well, Thomas Young actually used to be his roommate in college. We had DNA throughout this whole process. And this is kind of early on in DNA process, probably within the first five years. And we had lots of information. We had those gloves on those gloves were May's DNA, was Dirk's DNA, and there was DNA of a third person, but there was DNA from Dirk on the blood on the gloves, and there was no blood on his hands. So if you're putting together a puzzle and you have two clean hands and two bloody gloves with the DNA on them, that kind of completes the puzzle to me. And then the, the fiber that was found on his fingernail was the fiber from one of the gloves that was used by the murderer. I honestly thought from the beginning of this, once we started to build the wall and we started to see the pieces starting to fall into place, that Dirk really felt like, you know, these stupid local small town police, they'll never figure this out, right? I'm, I'm the world-renowned allergist. I'm smarter than they are, and they're, they're never gonna put these pieces together. It took a while, and Dirk was out. He was practicing. He had made at least one trip abroad during that time, we felt that the public was not in danger. He had done what he wanted to do. Maybe he thought he was getting away with it. I don't know. It was painstakingly long, but it was thorough. The grand jury was very, very thorough. They came back with an indictment. The day of the indictment was probably one of the most unbelievable press conferences I've ever seen. He called a number that he used to contact a woman that he did previously meet with and pay for sex with. The DA basically laid out all the evidence that they had. He talked about his secret double life with hookers and swingers and phone sex, and he talked about some of the evidence that they found at the pond and some of the other details that the investigators had tried to get him not to disclose. For us, it was fantastic. It was like, jaw-dropping, you know, because that's when the whole secret double life first came out. I can recall at that time in terms of Mrs. Grenadier that 
there were a lot of theories that she did she did find out. And as a result, he went into panic and then killed her. He clearly took a hit from a reputation standpoint in the community when that all started to come out. But what was really interesting was the community was still split. People would see me and say, hey, chief, you're railroading this, you know, poor doctor, because I've been taking my kids to him, you know, for the last, you know, 10 years, a wonderful man. He may have had, you know, affairs and even kind of, you know, bizarre affairs, um, but there's no way that we can believe that this person would be guilty of killing his wife. Dr. Dirk Graniter, 59, renowned allergist, arraigned this morning for murdering his wife as their three children looked on. Sir, to this indictment of murder, how do you wish to plead, not guilty or guilty? We are absolutely convinced that this was some violent or deranged person. Um, quite honestly, there is only one fact that we are completely certain of, that it was not my father. Commonwealth calls Dirk Reiner. We had been asking throughout the course of the trial, hey, Marty, are you going to put Dirk on the stand? And we had no foreknowledge that he was going to do it. And then all of a sudden, he called Dirk to the stand. The trial of Dr. Dirk Greinerder attracted major news outlets across the country. With the continued support of his three children, the doctor maintained his innocence. His attorney, Martin Murphy, would argue that even if the allegations of a secret sex life were true, that doesn't make Greinerder a murderer. The question was, would the jury buy it? The first day of trial, we show up, and Core TV's there, and they've got this huge tent set up on the lawn because they had, like, an outdoor studio there. You got the whole street lined with the TV trucks. You know, there's all kinds of media there. It was like the circus came to town. This juncture, I'm going to turn the case over to the uh, attorney for the Commonwealth for his opening statement. Thank you, Ron. She dead? Am I going to be arrested 30 to 40 minutes after this defendant called the Wellesley police to say that his wife had been attacked? And those are his words. This physician. You'll hear how May Griner appeared in that pathway when he asked that question. Paul Fitzpatrick will tell you, seven months away from retirement, a lifelong uniformed patrol officer from 20 feet away. He saw May Griner had not an ounce of life in her. White as a sheet. Ladies and gentlemen, the physical evidence of this case will show you what happened, where it happened, and who did it. The location of the evidence the testing on the evidence, the actions and words of this defendant, ladies and gentlemen, I suggest to you will leave you with no doubt whatsoever. This defendant on October 31st struck his wife 30 years in the back of the head with a two pound drilling hammer and then cut her throat and tried desperately to get rid of those items and couldn't. The prosecution's strategy was to build a wall of evidence. They didn't have a smoking gun. They had 
the blood spatter evidence. They had, you know, the murder weapons. They had the DNA evidence. They felt that they had enough to convict him. His name is Dirk Griner. The evidence will show that he is 60 years old. He was the husband of the victim in this case, May Griner. The evidence will show that he and May were the father of three children. The evidence will show that Dirk Reiniter was a doctor, a specialist in treating allergy and asthma, and a PhD in pharmacology. And what the evidence will show, what the real stuff in this case will show, most of all, is that the man seated with me at the council table, Dirk Reiniter, is an innocent man, wrongly accused of a terrible, terrible crime that he did not commit. What the evidence will show is that the state cannot meet its burden of proving beyond a reasonable doubt that he was made Grinder's killer. The defense strategy was to play up the fact that this is this world-renowned allergist, family man. His three children supported him throughout the case. There's no way that Dirk could kill May. Good morning. Could Good you morning. introduce uh, yourself to the member from the jury, please, by telling them your name, spelling your first name and last name? My name is Kirsten Griniter. I wonder whether you could tell us something about uh, what it was like to grow up in your family. Tell us about your parents' relationship with each other and with you and your brothers and sisters when you were children. I truly had a wonderful childhood. It's, it's really been as I've gotten older that I've realized how blessed I was. I had two parents, or and continue to have parents, who loved me. The children of, of Dirk and May, who were clearly behind their father, physically behind their father during this whole trial, and jury took note of that. They knew that they were with their father, and they were all well-educated, and they made a decision that their father couldn't have done this. That was strong for them. Dr. Griner, could you tell the jurors, November, um, in the weeks after your mother's death, uh, what was your knowledge as to any marital infidelity amongst your parents? I was not aware of any. What did you state to the investigators? At that time, I said that uh, the possibility of any extramarital affair between my parents was completely out of the question. It was only subsequent to the indictment of your father that you learned the details of that information. Is that correct? Yes. And after, in fact, that indictment occurred, the following day, you talked to your father on the telephone. Is that correct? I'm sure I did. And, Doctor, you then asked your father if your mother knew, isn't and that correct? That, I actually remember that, and I remember him not answering me because he said... Your father told you, I think so, didn't he? At this point, I, I recall never knowing exactly that, the answer to that question. I, I, I don't know, so... Do you recall telling other people present that your father said, I think so, in response to your question as to whether or not your mother knew? I don't recall it. Thank you, Doctor. Sure. The prosecution was trying to show she found out about it, and there was an argument. I don't know that that ever happened. There was never evidence of her finding out about his escapades. But 
we do know that he was escalating his involvement with escort services as his involvement with pornography in the days and weeks leading up to the murder. Commonwealth calls Dirk Greiniger. We had been asking throughout the course of the trial, hey, Marty, are you going to put Dirk on the stand? And we had no foreknowledge that he was going to do it. And then all of a sudden, he called Dirk to the stand. Doctor, in the mid-1990s, um, did your relationship with your wife change in any way? Uh, yes, it did. And... Uh, could you tell the members of the um, jury uh, how it changed? Around that time, she seemed to progressively lose interest in sex and subsequently uh, also apparently developed some discomfort and pain, which led to uh, our stopping having sexual relations sometime in mid-1990. And how did that sit with you? I was disappointed. At first, um, did you do anything as a result of that disappointment? At first, no. After a while, and I really can't put a time on it, months, maybe a year, I experimented with some phone sex. Is this something, doctor, you have difficulty talking about? Yes. I, I'm, it's embarrassing. The sex addiction is an addiction like the alcohol or the drugs, the shopping, the food, where you're so into it that it's out of control, that that controls you rather than you being able to control it. During these years, doctor, um, were you happy with your family life? Very much so. I. I uh, I felt really blessed to have the family that I had. Uh, I, I thought that we really couldn't do much better. I, uh, with that one exception, which I've mentioned, but what the family meant to me and means to me is so much more. And. I've, you know, my wife was the most wonderful person I'd ever met. Can you explain to the members of the jury, doctor, how it is you can say that you felt happy when you were going on, on phone sex numbers and going on pornographic websites? It wasn't central. It was, it was a side activity I was I guess gratifying a, a secondary need and obviously I did it and I'm not proud of it. Dirk was up there like crying but nobody saw any tears. On October 31, 1999 doctor, did you want to kill your wife? I did not. Doctor, did you kill your wife? Choosing to testify gave Dr. Dirk Greinerder a chance to explain his complex relationship with May and why he sought sex outside of his marriage. However, it would also allow the state to cross-examine him, and Prosecutor Rick Grundy was ready to attack.
Did there come a time, sir, when you made a decision to contact the prostitute? Yes. Uh, when was that, sir? In February 1998. And why did you make a decision in February 1998 to contact the prostitute? I really don't remember. I guess I decided I still wanted a sex life. He said the reason why he was using escorts is that he and his wife were not sexually compatible anymore. And for me, that was blaming his wife, not him taking on responsibility for using the escorts. Doctor, before October 31, 1999, did you form an elaborate plan to kill your wife? I did not. On October 31, 1999, did you go out to Morse's Pond with gloves and a hammer and a knife with the intention of killing your wife? I did not. On October 31, 1999, doctor, did you want to kill your wife? I did not. Doctor, did you kill your wife? I did not. I have nothing further on. Doctor, on October 31st, had uh, Brett call Kirsten to inform her of the death of her mother. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And you had Brett call Colin to inform him of the death of her mother. I don't recall exactly how we tried to reach Colin. Marty leads him through the softball questions. You know, I loved me. It could never hurt me. And when Murphy finished his direct, before he could even get back to his chair, Grundy jumped out of his chair. Remember the story that you called Belinda Markell to inform her of the death of her Aunt May? I know I talked to Belinda about the death of her aunt. My question to you, sir, is who called her? I to don't inform remember. Her? And who called May's older sister to inform her of the death on October 31st of 1999? I have best of my recollection, Britt. A member of my family. Not October 31st, 1999, you loved May. I love May. When now. Britt was making those calls. And on November 1st, you loved May too. Isn't that correct, sir? I love her now. And you called who on November 1st? I called Miss Dulio. Thank you. To you cancel. Take a lunch break, Your with Dirk's first phone call after the murder of his wife to an escort service just speaks to the power of addiction. Sir, you indicated that you met with a prostitute in February of 1998, is that correct? That's correct. And her first name was Elizabeth, wasn't it? It was. And she asked you if you're married, didn't she, sir? She did. And you told her, I'm separated. I've been separated for a long time. I did tell her that I was separated. And I might have used the word divorce, but it was because I was so embarrassed that I should need to use a prostitute while I was married, standing there with my wedding ring. And then you went back to Elizabeth to have sex with her again, despite her embarrassment. Took your ring off, and you made a point of saying to her, look, I don't have my wedding ring on anymore, didn't you, sir? I did. And sir, you got over that embarrassment, didn't you, sir? Over time. I absolutely thought that 
all the sexual activity that he was involved with went directly to motive because in some of those conversations with you know, some of the prostitutes, you know, they talked about him talking about being free in the future. Don't know anything about this glove that was some less than 40 feet from your van that day. No, I do not. You don't know anything about this glove from that storm drain where you walked down after no I do not. Tell me why. We don't see any blood on your hands. I don't know. Well, it's because you had gloves on, isn't it? I did not. You had gloves on and killed his life. Do you recognize this to be the deal's copy of a receipt Mr. Murphy showed you yesterday? That's correct. That was from your workplace, is that correct, sir? The one I saw yesterday was from my workbench. I, I have been told it was from my workbench. And you have no memory of it, is that correct? I have no memory of that, nor its contents. Do you agree with me, sir, that those purchases are approximately two and a half minutes apart from one another? I believe we've seen that established here. Did you buy that hammer, sir? I did not. He's a bad witness, but they, that's, I think that was their only hope, was to put him up there and hope that he could convince them that he didn't do it. I felt pretty confident that they were going to, uh, they were going to convict him. I had probably a 10% of me thinking we missed something. After six weeks of testimony, the evidence seemed stacked against Dr. Dirk Graniter, but was it enough to convict him beyond a reasonable doubt? Murphy? Murphy versus Grundy. They were friends. They were really, really good attorneys. It was like a heavyweight fight. What evidence is there of any connection between Dirk Reiner and that nut? Memory serves. They sell a knife at Home Depot. Dirk Reiner shops at Home Depot. How many of us does that connect to that knife? Brown workers. Well, they certainly have proved that Dirk Reiner owned a similar pair of brown work gloves. They sell those brown work gloves at deals. He shops at deals, and he admitted that he bought the other brown work gloves at deals. But he's not the only person ever brought brown work gloves at deals. Something on the order of 50 pairs in 1999. And what about the hand? There's no evidence that he went back two minutes later and bought that hand. And there's no evidence that that's the hammer that was found in the storm drain. Holes, gaps, Connecting dots, it's not your job. That's guesswork and that's speculation. What's needed to bring back a guilty verdict in this case, members of the jury, is proof. And in terms of Dirk Reiner's connection to the articles of the crime scene, it's no proof. Ladies and gentlemen, I suggest to you that the defendant's greatest defense here 
you don't want to believe that an upstanding physician, a good standing in his profession, loved by his children, could commit such a crime. But I'd ask you to do something, ladies and gentlemen. I'd ask you to close your eyes and put in your mind who you think a killer is, what he should look like, how he should appear, how he should come across, and apply the exact same facts to that image that have been brought before you in this case. That if that image in your head with those facts applied is guilty, and so is the defendant. I felt pretty confident that they're going to uh, they're going to convict him. I had probably a ten percent of me thinking we missed something. Uh, we didn't we didn't push hard enough on on one area or the other. The biggest moment of the trial for me personally was the verdict. It was so dramatic. I have told people that I will never forget for the rest of my life that moment the tension. We're all sitting there like, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? What say you, Mr. Foreman, as to indictment of 108-588, Dirk K. Grenadier, is the defendant guilty or not guilty? Guilty. Guilty of what, sir? Murder in the first degree. Oh. I believe that the jury got this right. And I believe that they had enough evidence to be confident in their verdict. Mr. Clerk, I would ask you if you would please impose the statutory sentence. Sentence to be imprisoned in the Massachusetts Correctional Institution and seat judgment. Term of your natural life. And you stand committed pursuant to the sentence. It was very satisfying for me to see him go to jail for the rest of his life for what he did to me. And somebody had to speak for her, and I think that's what, what we were at least able to accomplish. But when you look at it, the lives that were absolutely destroyed and ruined were his kids, May's sister, her niece, their families, their friends. Yeah, it was just so disturbing to see it. And I, and I know that the kids felt like they just lost their mother and they didn't want to lose their father too. I get that, but it was, that was just, that was awful to, you know, heart-wrenching. Nobody's ever asked me, what do I think actually happened? I think Grinder had a plan to kill his wife. He was very methodical how it was supposed to be. They parked where they parked. They walked straight down that path, and he attacked her from behind while she was walking on that path. May didn't want to die. That messed everything up. He was in panic mode, I'm sure, at that point because he realized, I have a hammer in my hand, I have a knife, and I'm bloody. He walked out with <laughs> He walked out with evidence, and he distributed it throughout that park for us to find. So that was something that, that was not part of his plan. The thing that really resonates with me and has stayed with me for 20-some-odd years is one word, why? Why did he kill her? Why didn't he just get a divorce? I mean, you talk about high stakes, right? He's either gonna walk, you know, away and, they, and, and he fooled everybody, or he's going to jail for the rest of his life. To me, I'd rather go through a divorce than 
you know, risk going to jail for the rest of my life. You know, Dirk was a great, great doctor, but he was a terrible murderer. Dirk Greiniter is currently serving his life sentence in the Massachusetts Correctional Institution in Norfolk. He still maintains his innocence. I'm Tamron Hall. Thanks for watching Someone They Knew. There you have it, another audio edition of the Court TV original series, Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall. If you want to see more of our original series, they are available to stream for free on our website. Just check the show notes for a link. And you can see me on my show, Closing Arguments, where we dive deeper into the biggest current true crime stories every weeknight at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much for downloading. And as always, please don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.